heads up, because you are in the hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports on the Hoodwood, January 28th, 2023. Coming up in this edition, look back at the NFL Divisional Round. What went right for the winners, what went wrong for the losers, and what's going on going forward. Look at the conference championship games, and then there were four. What the Bengals, Chiefs, 49ers, or Eagles need to do to advance to Super Bowl 57. Also have Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Dap, Head Slap, and a final word from the wood on the status of Ed Reed and how Pazoo Cookman has done him wrong. All straight ahead of sports from the Hoodwood, put the crash helmet on and buckle your seatbelts. We're about to get started. Sports from the Hoodwood, let's go. Save my life. I'm your man KJ Green welcoming you back to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood. And let's get right into it. Looking back at the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, four games over the weekend. Some of them were pretty good, some of them were kind of yawners. But after the four games, you got four teams that are left. And you have Jacksonville and Kansas City. Leading off weekend on Saturday, the early game. And Jacksonville just didn't look like they were ready. They looked a little scared, to be, be perfectly honest. They they kept the game tight for a little while, but Kansas City methodically. The Chiefs are a methodical team. They just wear you down. The biggest story of this game was Patrick Mahomes messing up his ankle. And he was out for a while. And into the breach step, Chad Henney. Is he still in this league? I was like, Chad Henney, whoa. But to his credit, Chad Henney took the Chiefs on a 98-yard drive, getting them a score, playing capably enough in Mahomes' stead. Now, Patrick Mahomes had a high ankle sprain. Couldn't damage it any further, so he went on adrenaline and, and from what I heard, a pretty good dose of painkillers and slugged his way through the contest. Chiefs winning 27-17. Travis Kelsey, old Bearcat, he was magnificent. 14 catches on the day, which set a team record for receptions by one player. He didn't even have over 100 yards, but he was a reliable check down for Henny and Mahomes and was instrumental in having a score, having two scores of his own for the win for the Kansas City Chiefs who advanced to the AFC Championship game for the fifth straight time and also at home. Chiefs don't play a lot of road uh, playoff games if you've noticed over the last few years. This is their 13th, that was their 12th home playoff game in a row. Seriously, the Chiefs do play a lot of home games in the playoffs. 
Yeah, but they only win about two of every three of them. So it's not a lot that they are, you know, win the game, regardless if they're hosting. Moving on to the late Saturday game was the uh, New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. And the game looked like a mismatch from the from the jump. I think Brian Dabble will probably win NFL Coach of the Year. He's turned the Giants around, changed the culture, and made the Giants' playoff team. They got a playoff win to boot. Knocking off my, my beleaguered Minnesota Vikings on the road. But to ask them to do that twice, winning on the road twice in Philly, too tall of an order. The Eagles wore the Giants down, wore them out, kicked their butt. The game wasn't even close. The Giants didn't have, the, 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 the Giants barely had 250 yards of offense. The Eagles had more yards rushing than the Giants had total offense, and it was a domination, 38-7, and it probably could have, the, the Eagles could have hung 50 on them, but they looked kind of bored after a while. It was like, you know what, we're, we're, we're going to shut it down. Jalen Hurts played brilliant, the running, and it always seems like Boston Scott always manages to get in the end zone when they're playing the Giants. If the Giants, who had any sense, they would sign Boston Scott just to make sure he doesn't score on them again. But the game was a route from, and it could have been a lot worse. Like I said, the 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 268 yards that the Eagles had rushing was more than the Giants had combined in their total offense. It was sad. And, and Daniel Jones came back to earth as expected. And the, the, the Giants, they were a plucky team. They got their playoff win, but they got as far as they could get. And is it going to be need for, for improvement for the Giants? Of course, that's a tough division, the NFC East. Three teams in that division made the playoffs, and the team that finished last, the Washington Commanders, finished 500. So that's going to be a tough division going forward. But I think the Giants have enough wherewithal. They'll be able to hold their own. Now, going to the Sunday game, the 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 uh, Bills and the Bengals, the Bengals being the only road team in the divisional round to win their game. And the Bills were the favorite. They're playing at home, it's snowing, Bills Mafia's in full throat. The Bills win the coin toss. I mean the Bengals win the coin toss, drive right down the field and score. Okay, no problem. The, the Bills will be alright. They, they they'll get the ball and they go three and out. Bengals take the punt. Start driving again, drive right back down the field and score again. And it's 14-0 and the Bills are like, yo, hey, are y'all paying attention? This is a playoff game. Wake up. And the Bengals just continue to bully and steamroll the Bills up and down the field. The Bengals had 30, count them, 30 first downs. What team gets 30 first downs in a game? The game, the final score was 27-10. The Bengals could have hung 40 on them easily. The Bengals ran flat, ran the Bills out of out of the feet, out of Orchard Park, and it was sad to watch because the Bills fans were just sitting there like, uh, uh. I think the game, if this game had been played on January 2nd like it was supposed to, this would have been the score. And it wouldn't have been as big a surprise. The Bengals' much maligned offensive line took control. Joe Burrow sacked one time. 
The Bengals rushing for 174 yards. Joe Mixon having 105. The Bengals took control of the game from the word jump. They jumped on the Bills, didn't let them breathe. Steamroll, 27 to 10. And like I said, the game could have been a lot worse. It, it, I, like I said, had this game been played on January 2nd, the Bengals were dominating that game from the jump to begin with before DeMar Hamlin fell out. I don't think it would have been that much of a surprise had the two teams had played each other. The result had been the first time, and the second time, you'd think, same thing. Weekend's finale was in San Francisco. Dallas taking on San Francisco, and the Cowboys walked tall. We them boys. We And the Niners, the Niners play a grubby, grimy, gritty game that's not pretty. It's very, it's, it's as subtle as a, as a punch in the mouth. But the Niners more or less defensively dominated this game. And you just waited. It was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. Dak Prescott was going to do something stupid. He was going to throw a foolish ball. And, of course, he starts throwing interceptions. The Niners cash in. And what was that formation at the end of the game? Why was Zeke Elliott snapping the ball at the end of the game? Somebody please explain that to me. Another bizarre ending for the Cowboys. Last year was poor clock management. The, 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 the Cowboys abject failure to properly manage the clock, clock management cost them that game. They had a shot to at least still be in the game. Score, my microphone just dropped on me. With the score 19 to 12, the, the Cowboys had the ball on the right side of the two minute warning had all three of their timeouts. The drive stalled. You're supposed to get the punt team in, bang, punt the ball. Your defense was playing decent enough where you could keep them, keep the 49ers in front of you. But they wasted so much time and was able to punt at the ball with just a little bit over two minutes to play. The Niners took one play, hit the two-minute warning, and the, the Cowboys were forced to burn their timeouts on the wrong side of the two-minute warning. They got the ball back with 45 seconds of play and 75 yards to try to tie the game. The field goal did them no good. Another abject failure by the Pokes keep them out of the NFC Championship where they have not been since 1995. I still think Mike McCarthy's going to lose his job even though Jerry Jones has said the Civil Division is not going to find I still think that siren call is Sean Payton's going to appeal to him and he's going to go running out of Let's take time out. Come back with the NFC and AFC Championship Game Preview. Do I think we'll advance to Arizona for Super Bowl 57? Put some good wood comes back at you after this. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com.
You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for the most honest insight, thorough analysis, and unfiltered opinion on the world of sports. Now, once again, here's the man of the hour, After Hours, your host, KJ Green. You're back in the Hoodwood, and then there were four. Four teams, three of those running it back from last year. The Niners are on the road again. But instead of going downstate to face their interdivisional rivals in the Rams, they head east to face the Eagles, who are hosting the NFC Championship as the number one seed. The NFC title game is a grudge match from the year before with the Bengals and the Chiefs squaring off again at Arrowhead. Now, as usual, the odds are provided by ESPN and are for entertainment comparison purposes only. We are... 20 weeks into the season, and if I have to explain why I don't pay bookies, you might as well just go ahead and get to it. Start with NFC Championship game. These games are being played on Sunday, January 29th, and the NFC Championship has the 14-4 49ers, who are the number two seed in the NFC West Champions, taking on the 15-3 Philadelphia Eagles, who are the number one seed and the NFC East Champions. The game being played at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, 3 p.m. kickoff on Fox. Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson on the call for the game. The Eagles are favored by two and a half points. Now, the 49ers defeated the number seven seed, number three wild card Seahawks, 42, I'm making part 41 to 23 in the wild card round. Then they defeated the number one wild card, the fifth seeded Cowboys. 19-12 in the divisional round. The Eagles had a bye in the divisional round as the top seed and then defeated the number two wild card, New York Giants, 38-7 in the divisional round. This is the team's second playoff meeting with the 49ers defeating the Eagles 14-0 in the 1996 wild card round. Not, not a lot of playoff history between these two teams. They defeated hated rivals in the divisional round and have been circling each other round and round, though they have not played one another, top two teams in the conference, leading up to this showdown. The Niners won a greedy, gutty, grimy slugfest at home, and now had East faced a Philly team that has ramped its intensity back up after kind of, kind of floating along the last few weeks as they routed the Giants at home. Can Brock Purdy get the Niners going? Meanwhile, the Eagles seem to be getting back their stride and swing of things as Jalen Hurts leads an embarrassment of Richardson offense and a sneaky good defense that keeps giving him the ball to score points. Now, I like the Niners' running game, and they will give the Eagles a brutally physical fight, to be sure, but the Eagles might be the one team that could stand toe-to-toe with the Niners in physicality and pull out a win. Now, if the game was in San Francisco, I would give the Niners a better than a puncher's chance. But I can't see them going into Philly and picking up a win. The pick here to go to the Super Bowl is Philadelphia. In the AFC, we have a rematch between the 13-4 Bengals, who are the number three seed as the AFC North champions, at the 14-4 Kansas City Chiefs, who are the number one seed as the AFC West champions. Game being played at GHA, <clears throat> excuse me, the game being played at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. 6.30 kickoff on CBS. Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the call. The Bengals are two and a half point favorites. 
Now, the Chiefs had a bye into the divisional round as the top seed, then defeated AFC South champ number four seed Jaguars 27-17 in the divisional round. Meanwhile, the Bengals defeated the number two wild card, number two wild card Ravens 24-17 in the wild card game, then defeated the AFC East champion and number two seed Bills 27-10 in the divisional round. This is the team's second playoff meeting. The Bengals defeated the Chiefs in the 2021 AFC Championship game, 27-24 in overtime. Now, the Bengals went into Buffalo with attitude and bullied the Bills in a shockingly easy divisional round route. The expected first duel between Joe Burrow and Josh Allen delved into a one-sided thumping as a supposedly weak Bengals offensive line, ran roughshod over the Bills. Meanwhile, the Chiefs had a tougher-than-expected fight from the Jaguars, but they still got the win, grinding out a late score to hold off a Jags team that held its own better than expected. Joe Burrow has his team confident, and yet still the pundits still disrespect them. Yeah, I know, I picked against them. I'll admit that freely. Now, the Chiefs, on the other hand, are playing at home, but with a hobble, Patrick Mahomes, who suffered a high ankle sprain. This is probably the toughest game to call in the playoffs. Bengals are proving to be the one team that no one really can pin down and are proving a lot of people wrong who said they were one-hit wonder. But many people still feel that another win in Kansas City is needed to really validate them. Meanwhile, the Chiefs think they are not getting enough respect as a team that has made the AFC title game five straight times. But they don't have five straight Super Bowl appearances, which means they can be beat at Arrowhead. If Mahomes can make do on his bum ankle, this will be another close game that I think they, they can win. This team is really due to get by their fast-growing nemesis in Cincinnati. In reality, if they don't get the win here... They may be looking up the Bengals for a long time to come. Because this young team isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Another pick I'm sure will go wrong. It will make me very unpopular in my neighborhood. I think that the Chiefs get it right and get it to fall their way in a tight slugfest at home. The pick is Kansas City. Let's take another timeout. Come back with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Dabbing Hits Lap, and the final word from the Wood Sports from the Hoodwood Hits down the home stretch. After this, your New Year's resolution for 2023 is to follow me, The Real Rajim, and The Real DJ Dream on Facebook and Instagram. And have an outstanding new year. Is today your last day on Earth because you are being deployed to space tomorrow? Have you just turned 18 and you're ready to get out of your parents' house? Has your granddaughter gotten her boyfriend pregnant? Whatever your reason, you need us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com. We specialize in last-minute weddings. Active duty, military veterans and retired discounts are available. Visit us at GottaGetMarriedNow.com.
internet's foremost location for no-nonsense commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now live in living color, black by popular demand, your host, KJ Green. Running third and headed for home here in Hoodwood. Let's finish up strong with the Hoodwood Hot Five, Fat Dap and Head Slap, and the final word from the Wood. The Hoodwood Hot Five, I'm kind of all over the place this week. So you're just going to have to forgive me, but it's my show, so I do as I want. Anyway, the first topic of the Hoodwood Hot Five, Scott Rowland gets the call from the hall. Cooperstown makes the call to the veteran third baseman who played with four different teams in his illustrious career, winning Rookie of the Year in 97, uh, World Series ring with the Cardinals in 2004, before finishing up his career with the Cincinnati Reds after a brief stop in Toronto. The question remains, was he worthy? I mean, the 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 writers are loath to keep, you know, have a, an empty Hall of Fame here. Fred McGriff making the uh, Hall of Fame from the Veterans Committee, which I thought was long overdue. But someone like Scott Rowland... The, the metrics say that he's a Hall of Famer. He was a solid player. I, no one's going to dispute that him being a solid player. He, he you know, batted lifetime. I'm trying to look up the information here. It, but it was still, he played 17 seasons, batted decently in his career uh, 281 lifetime which is I is it a Hall of Fame uh, numbers I mean the the leadership the intangibles he never played I mean, he played 7 years for Philly 6 years for St. Louis 4 for Cincinnati 2 for Toronto and you really kind of say his numbers were decent Nothing really popped out. I mean, he had 316 home runs, uh, a little under 1,300 RBIs. But is that Hall of Fame worthy? The one comparison I keep seeing, and people are going, well, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Why is he in? Is Dale Murphy. Now, Dale Murphy won a pair of MVPs in the 80s, playing a long time for the Atlanta Braves. Solid pop, good hitter, by all accounts, good guy. No one had anything bad to say about him as a player. But he's never gotten a call to, to Cooperstown. He's on the outside looking in. And there's been some pointed campaigns. Scott Rowland, like I said, his numbers are I, but Hall of Famer, I don't know. I really can't really call it on that. I mean, congratulations to him. He said he got in with 77% of the vote, made it you know, there's a few players like Todd Helton right at the line, 11 votes short. Andrew Jones. You're looking at some of these players that couldn't get in, but Scott Rowland did. It's a numbers game. And I'm thinking that he'll get in pretty soon. Um, next year, Top of the line you is probably going to be Ichiro. Ichiro's a, a slam dunk Hall of Famer. If he doesn't get in with at least 90% of the vote, something's wrong. I mean, but th- there's always the dichotomy. I mean, players building up their vote cases because 
there aren't anyone left. We Hall of Fame, I've always thought was a weird way they set things up. Next topic on the Hoodwood Hot Five, Bronny James. LeBron James Jr. makes the McDonald's All-American team. Was he deserving or was it name alone? Was it pub from his illustrious father who was closing in on the NBA all-time scoring record? Was it his his shine that kind of egged Bronny on? I've heard reports that LeBron James Jr. is a decent basketball player, but he's not all that. And the question remains, how long will he be able to ride on his father's coattails? I mean, LeBron James has said that he wants to play wherever his his son gets drafted at. That's, that's making a lot of assumptions, saying that Bronny James is going to not only be good enough to be on an NBA team, but be on a team that can obtain the elder LeBron James. Another really weird dichotomy. Did Bronny James get on the McDonald's All-American team because he was a good player? Or did he get there because of who his daddy is? Who thought? Third topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five is regarding one of the combatants in the NFC Championship game, Brock Purdy. The quarterback who was Mr. Irrelevant as the last choice in the 2022 NFL Draft has proved his worth, and then some, for the 49ers as they are on a 12-game winning streak, postseason and, and regular season combined, and have streaked into contention for the Super Bowl. But Brock Purdy was a third-string quarterback, though he has made good, no, no doubt about that. The question now remains, what happens to Jimmy Garoppolo? What happens to Trey Lance? Trey Lance, top draft choice by the, by the 49ers, got hurt. Jimmy Garoppolo bet on himself, played his way into a big contract, but he got hurt. Brock Purdy may be a better and cheaper alternative to either one. The 49ers could take both of these very, very well-regarded quarterbacks and parlay them into draft choices, high draft choices. You don't think teams like the Jets, the Cardinals, the Colts, the Texans, the Dolphins possibly wouldn't be looking to acquire a big-name quarterback like a Jimmy Garoppolo, like a Trey Lance, or maybe even like a Brock Purdy. Who knows? The 49ers are going to be dealing from a position of strength. They will be able to get a desperate team and, and be able to make a trade of one or two of these quarterbacks. Which ones are the question? Topic number four in the Hoodwood Hot Five is a question I've been kind of wondering about. Why are the Lakers so angry? Is it because their record sucks? <laughs> the Lakers are too easy a punching bag. They're too easy of someone to clown on. But there was a recent press conference. Both LeBron James and Russell Westbrook seemed very grumpy at with reporters asking them questions. Russell Westbrook is always, I've always thought he was an ass. The way he acts toward people, especially reporters. Now, 
understand sometimes reporters ask questions that are inane, stupid, if you will. But Russell Westbrook has always acted like the press is a nuisance. The press is somebody, instead of being used as a peer, someone that could promote them better, is someone to be in, to be tolerated, endured. LeBron James was on that front as well when asked about teammate Anthony Davis if he was going to be able to come back and how the Lakers might be able to salvage something of this season to try to make a playoff run. LeBron James is saying all oh, he's really concerned about is the guys in his locker room and getting them ready for another another uh, game. Stop reply. But it's just seeming like the, the Lakers are getting more and more and more grumpy. Their record is indicative of how mediocre they are. And that's not to say anything about Darvin Ham, who I think is doing his best with what he has. It's his fault that Anthony Davis has been constantly hurt the whole season. It's not his fault that LeBron James is the only real shooting option. It's not his fault that Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook. The Lakers are mediocre. And they seem bitter, angry, jaded about it. Why? I'm not saying that they have to be all happy-go-lucky because they are four or five games below 500. Out of the playoff running for now. But the way they're acting, this grumpy, entitled mentality they have isn't doing anybody any good. Our fifth and final topic in the Hoodwood Hot Five, we hit the, we hit the frozen, uh, we hit the ice. The Boston Bruins are 38-5-4. That's not a misprint. I didn't read that wrong. 38 wins, 5 losses, and 4 overtime losses. Get 3 points for a win. I beg your pardon, 2 points for a win, 1 point for an overtime loss, and of course none for a regulation loss. The Bruins have 80 points. Not 18, not something with an 8 on it, 8-0. And are blowing the Atlantic Division away. I mean, they're taking on the Tampa Bay. As, as I'm taping the show, they're going to be taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning are 19 points behind them in third. 19 points! The Bruins are running roughshod on the NHL. Can they keep it up? It's anybody's guess. But the thing is, it, it, the Bruins are making a mockery of the NHL and how they are playing is just, they are just routing teams every night. And you're looking at going, they don't have, well, they have some Names that jump out at you. Of course, David Pasternak is, is playing out of his mind. He has 69 points through 40 some odd, let's see, 47 games. That's better than a point a game. 37 goals, 32 assists. It's just insane. And the Bruins keep winning and winning. They've won six straight after taking a 3 nothing loss at home versus the Kraken. Cracking, what a name. But that was one of only five regulation losses that the Bruins have taken. And we're in late January, people. 
Now, can they can can they keep this up? Who knows? Sixty-two wins is the NHL record, but that sixty-two win team, those Red Wings did not win the NHL title. So having the best record in the NHL, while indicative of strength and a possible president and a, and a president's trophy, does not guarantee success in the postseason. Can the Bruins keep it up? It's anybody's guess. I'm not going to bet against them, not just yet. That's my Hood Wood Hot Five. It's yours. Our fat dap and head slap of the week are pretty, let's say, detailed. Our fat dap goes to Shannon Sharp of Fox Sports 1's Undisputed. He had an altercation, a verbal altercation with Memphis Grizzlies uh, guards Dylan Brooks and John Morant during the recent Grizzlies-Lakers game at Crypto.com Arena in downtown Los Angeles. And it looked like it was just trash talk that was starting to get out of hand. The tempers flared, and the the tempers were getting out of control, and it looked like people were going to fight. Now, the players and the Fox analysts were separated before any kind of uh, fist cuffs happened, and seeing the daps and hugs with watch were it all the way around after it happened. Sharp also trading uh, barbs and jabs with John Moran's father, T, on the sidelines, and they had to be separated as well. But Sharp was very perfect, uh, profuse and pointed in his apology the next day during his opening monologue uh, this, during the show uh, Undisputed with co-host Skip Bayless. And he was very pointed, apologizing, very humble, very, you can say, low-key about it. He was more prof uh, uh, low-key and profound in his apology than Skip Bayless ever tried to be with his controversial Twitter comments about DeMar Hamlin, which he still hasn't backed down off of. The dap goes too sharp for his eloquent yet humble apologies for what was really a silly altercation. Now our head slap is a first. It really isn't a slap at anybody, but it's one of those really. And a first for the NCAA women's basketball poll, top 25 poll, there are no teams from Texas. Now, Texas, the state of Texas as a collective has been a virtual powerhouse of women's basketball. For the first time in the 835 weeks that the poll has been out and has existed, no teams from the Lone Star State were in the poll. Now, when the first poll came out in 1976, you had teams like Wayland Baptist, Stephen F. Austin, and Baylor in it. And of course, Everybody knows Jody Conrad took a made a absolute powerhouse team in the University of Texas, uh, UT at Austin, and of course the aforementioned Baylor became regular fixtures in the women's poll. And Baylor recently has dominated the Big 12, winning 11 consecutive conference titles and three national titles. The head slap is more like a dough to. The, uh, slaps the forehead to the state of Texas 
Where your ladies at, yo? They're missing. And now, without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. I never really was a Baltimore Ravens fan, uh, but I've always been a fan of Edward Reed. Hard-hitting, no-nonsense safety from the U. And he talked talk, and he walked at something fierce. For 11 years, he was the soul of the Ravens' defense. Say what you want about Ray Lewis being the heart, but Reed was a cold-blooded assassin that quarterbacks had to be wary of on every play. He was a nine-time, uh, he's a nine-time Pro Bowl player, holder of the longest interception return in NFL history at 107 yards, and a first ballot Hall of Famer that no one even questioned his bona fides as one of the greatest to ever play the game. And it was a matter of time before he got a coaching job. He was an assistant defensive backs coach with the Buffalo Bills under Rex Ryan before being uh, let go when the staff turned over when Sean McDermott was hired. Late last year, he was named the head coach of Bethune-Cookman after uh, working as a special assistant in the his alma mater's uh, football program for a number of years. Bethune-Cookman is an HBCU in Daytona Beach, Florida. Reed got right to work recruiting players and setting a mantra of expectation for said players that were there. And you could tell that Ed Reed meant business. Now, Reed live-streamed a couple times of his very vociferous criticism of the BC campus, noting that he had to have his players help pick up trash on the and help clean up the facilities, and that these same players had to wash their own uniforms. What team should have to do that? Seriously, wash their own uniforms? His live stream was very loud, very pointed, and very profane. The, the thing is, is it was very true. Noting, uh, she said, excuse me, nothing that Reed said or showed in his live stream was incorrect or false. Nothing that he pointed out was incorrect. It was, however, a great source of embarrassment for the university who decided to then not ratify Reed's contract. Reed had not formally signed a contract to become the head coach of Bethune-Cookman's football team. Reed was very vocal in his criticism. It was very pointed in the fact that he was not withdrawing his name from the job. He gave a passionate and emotional interview on the Roland Martin Digital News program just the other day. He was often unsuccessful in fighting back tears as he explained his situation, loudly and vociferously defended his position, and stated his case. Reed spoke of how he had recruited players and bonded with these same players. On the team, now, the students of the school itself held a protest on Monday, clearly backing the embattled Reed. Meanwhile, you had the head coach of the basketball team, Reggie Theus, going on and stating that he was backing the administration, saying that Reed was wrong. Was he? The administration of Bethune-Cookman, for its part, criticized the actions of Reed regarding the live stream, saying that his actions went directly against the principles of the 
Christian values in school. I thought it was a lame excuse to get rid of Reed because of his pointed criticism. Look, I know that an HBCU like Bethune-Cookman is not going to have the same resources and facilities that a PWI like the University of Miami, Reed's alma mater, had. That being said, trash on the campus that your football players have to pick up, an office that is not clean, that is supposed to be his, facilities that are either non-existent or woefully outdated, having to wash your own clothes, wash your own uniforms. There's a standard that players, former players, and now the term coaches like a Deion Sanders, like an Ed Reed, like an Eddie George are used to and want to lift HBCUs to. Not so much lockstep of, say, PWIs, but at least baseline. Border, uh, 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 at the floor, basic amenities and facilities. Is that asking too much? Criticizing the failure of said school to keep its own campus clean. Is that wrong? No, it was a source of embarrassment for the administration and the interim president of, H, uh, of this HBCU. Shame on Reggie Theus for not backing his would would have been one of his colleagues, which I think was nothing more of him protecting his own backside. Of course, he's going to uh, protect the administration. That's his job. That's his soul. It just made no sense the way that Bethune Cookman treated Ed Reed. They should have done better. And I hope if Ed Reed does not take the job at Bethune Cookman, is not able to take the job, that he goes to another HBCU takes the players he recruited, and kicks the living shit out of Bethune-Cookman. And I will be rooting for him to do so. And that is the final word from the wood. Now with the music coming up in the background, you know that means that your time here in the hood was just about done. And I thank you so much for your visit again this week. The show's email is kjgreen at sportsfromthehoodwood.com. Please send me an email regarding show topics, questions, comments, and both praise and criticism. I welcome your correspondence, and I try to get back to you as quickly as I can. The show's website, sportsfromthehoodwood.com, which has a back catalog of the show, both audio and video forms, date back 10 years. Check out the Sports from the Hoodwood page on Facebook. We have video podcasts, simulcasts, as well as discussions on topics, Lots of crazy stuff I find on the web post. A lot more. Video version, of course, is on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Smash that like button for lots more great content. And the link for podcast as well on Twitter, which the feed is at Hoodwood Sports. There's a lot of other interesting stuff that you might not be able to find anywhere else. Tweet the show. Hit the like. And follow there as well. I may very well tweet you back. As I may, may very well, I will tweet you back. Audio version is on Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iMusic, and other fine podcast platforms and programs and providers. If the Hoodwood is not on your favorite, drop me a line, ask for it, and I will do what I can to get it there. Special thanks as always to Rave Pictures. Get well soon to my executive producer, Rod Gross. Get well soon, bruh. And they provide excellent production assistance to the show. Special thanks to them. So that's it from the Hoodwood. Until next time, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green, 30. 
Reports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films production. 